Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective podcast. Today's episode is different from our normal podcast and was honestly really difficult to put together. Normally, I get a chance to travel around and sit down with guides and other industry leaders and have a somewhat lighthearted conversation over drinks. Today's episode has a much different feel and purpose. Following the wake of Hurricane Ian, which hit Southwest Florida in late September, I got the chance to sit down with Mike Burkey to hear his story of encountering this storm, a story which ultimately led to him fleeing his home and his skiff loaded up with friends and neighbors searching for shelter. As always, I want to thank Skinny Water Culture, Costa Sunglasses, Turtle Box Audio, All Hands Vodka, and Orvis Fly Fishing for sponsoring this podcast and allowing me to put these shows together. These companies have helped me have a voice, and I hope that now we can make a difference for some of the great folks who have been affected. I also want to give a special thank you to my friends at Captains for Clean Water. Over the years, we've worked together, and I've never been more proud to be a friend and supporter of that team. I would ask that you consider giving to their relief funds, one that's focused on guides who have been affected, and another that's focused on the community. I also want to thank Mike for sharing his story. If you'd like to give to him directly, I have a link to his GoFundMe on my blog post. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you. You know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet and then it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go and sometimes just that quiet space is is what we need and especially in this day and age you have a fly rod in your hand it's this tool that takes you to beautiful places you meet hopefully wonderful people and it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure when the fish is coming that shot within a shot that timer start beep beep No one else knew anything anyway, and you're just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? That's look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. Well, hey Mike, thanks for sitting down with us today and allowing us to crash here for a moment in your garage uh, right here in Island Park after uh, one of Florida's most devastating natural events that we know of. And uh, um, normally when we sit down for a podcast, it's under much better (laughs) circumstances, as you can imagine. Um, But the hope today would just to be to be able to hear your story, what you experienced here. And we're going to talk a little bit about how people can help uh, and come together around that. We also have Benny Blanco here, who's been on the ground with Captains for Clean Water and a couple other groups uh, helping out. And, um, Benny, do you mind just kind of setting the stage for how we ended up in, in Mike's garage? <laughs> sure. Uh, thanks for having me Hunter as usual. Um, yeah, so I'm on the ground. Uh, both Daniel and Chris are dealing with much larger issues within town. You can imagine this affected several different communities across seven counties. Um, and, uh, Daniel's on Sanibel right now dealing with the worst of the disasters and, Whitman's dealing with some of the upper level uh, issues with the governor in town and trying to allocate funds, emergency funds, to get some of the major infrastructure part projects done, like mm-hmm. the bridge to Sanibel and Matlache. Um, 
And so I've been handling operations. And operations right now is totally different than what operations is on a regular basis. Um, we are in search and rescue mode, uh, collecting supplies, distributing supplies directly into zones that need it. Um, and then literally boots on the ground in, in houses where we've identified people who've reached out for help. Um, and we were happened to be next door yesterday or two days ago. Uh, I had Hillary Hutchison with me mm-hmm. and her family. And we met Miss Connie next door. Miss Connie was by herself. She had a house full of muck and everything she owned in every little corner of the house. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we couldn't leave her alone. We had to help her. And so we spent a couple of days here and we got to know Mike. And um, Mike told us this unbelievable story of, um, not unbelievable now because I know Mike, but <laughs> at first I thought he was full of crap. And, um, and how he saved himself and the people around him. And, it, and it's worthy of a share because it absolutely puts in perspective what hurricanes can actually do and, um, and the real dangers and threats that they bring to people who are like us everywhere else in the state. Hmm. So, so, Mike, I'd love just to hear your story. At one point, up by me in the panhandle, we thought we were about to have Michael 2.0, and then everybody thought it was going to be Tampa Bay, and the, the spaghetti model was all over the place. And um, it was, you know, for the couple days leading up to it, a very uncertain time for the state. And I'm just kind of curious, just from the moment that you thought, well, this might hit us to, to where we are today, could you just share a little bit of your story and what you went through? This is the first hurricane I've <clears throat> ever stayed for. I've always left. And I think when Irma came through and everyone kept fleeing and fleeing, not knowing which way it was gonna go, it just makes it so hard to tell. And I decided, stupidly, that I'm gonna stay and ride it out at my house and you know hopefully we're far enough away we won't get a storm surge they always tell you you're going to get 10 to 15 feet and it almost never occurs mm-hmm. except this hurricane so you wake up in the morning and you realize it's it's coming direct hit right here what's what's running through your head do you do you think get in the car and get out or was it too late that's what i my first thought was I've sat here for three, four hours and I was contacting my children uh, who were in a different area and my neighbor Connie and you know we were trying to watch and, and my sons were checking to see what was happening. And I thought maybe we should leave, but the winds came up so fast and so hard, I just didn't feel safe driving my Suburban down these roads. Mm-hmm. So. I decided just to uh, hold on, and, and at that point, it got bad enough that I didn't eat. I mean, I was that just nervous, sitting in the house, listening to a creak, and everything going on. And I started looking out the back window, and I started seeing flood water come in from Island Park Road. At that point, I knew there was no leaving, because that road's going to be flooded way worse than what we have. Hmm. So I just basically called Connie next door and said, we stay in the houses, we die, or we get in my boat and I'll, I'll see if I can get us to safety. And she agreed. And I told her, just put everything up. You can as high as you can and get ready. And literally 15 minutes later, it was at my sliding glass door, already six inches up it. So I, I ran into the garage, got my dry box with my boat plugs in it that was floating in the garage. And ran out, put the plugs 
in the boat. I had four straps strapping the boat down. And as soon as I put the plugs in, I decided I need to throw the anchor and anchor it into the lawn so it doesn't float off while I'm trying to get it unstrapped. And I opened the lid for the anchor locker and the winds were at least 110 miles an hour. I'm trying to hold the lid down and throw the anchor. Well, as I did, the lid came flying up in a huge gust and cut my lip wide open all the way through. Hmm. So that was immediate fear of, oh no. And then I thought to myself, I felt it and I'm like, it's still on. There's nothing I can do. I can't call anyone. There's no help. So it doesn't matter. Forget about it. And I ran back in the house and called over to Connie and said, uh, try to get out of your house and get over here, grab, we had already made go bags with just something. And I grabbed my bag and ran out to the boat and I'm working on the straps, waiting on Connie and uh, SUV comes floating into my driveway with two people in it. And they rolled down the windows and said, you know, can you help? And I said, jump in. I said, jump in and I told the one guy to, help hold the boat because they didn't know where the straps were and they were underwater at that point and they're a real pain in the butt to get off. So I was running around and doing that and I told one of them to go help Connie because I knew I could barely get out my door because of the pressure from the water. Hmm. As it was six inches inside the house, two and a half feet outside the house. Yeah, you were showing me photos and videos <clears throat> earlier, but just to give people perspective on how fast the water moved in from from the first inch to what at your neighbor's house to was, a foot in 20 minutes. So to a foot in, in 20 minutes. And then at some point it was at your neighbor's house above an SUV, maybe eight feet. Yeah. How that, fast did that happen? I would say that was a two and a half, maybe two and a half hour time period. I mean, I, I lost all track of time because mm. I was focused on one thing and that's figuring out how to survive and help other people. So, People come up in a car. Now, I oftentimes on this podcast ask people to describe their boat, uh, usually in a more playful kind of tactical, how do you fish it way. But you have a skiff, so it's not a, a large boat. And you're at this point, you're at four people on a skiff in 100-mile-an-hour winds. 17-foot uh, F-16 Talon. So it's a catamaran. But, yeah, it's it's got a wide beam, but it's a short boat. Mm-hmm. And I've... I put it through some rough stuff, but nothing like this. So four, four people on the skiff, and what does the game plan become? Because you, you're saying you can't stay in the house. Well, what it becomes is I decide we got to get it off the trailer. And so I have everyone stand in the driveway because I don't want the extra weight in the boat try to get it off the trailer. And I drove the boat and trailer to the curb and then started to keep trying to back up. They were trying to hold the trailer. It wouldn't come off. So I said, get in the boat. I was going to drive away with the trailer if I needed to. But they got in the boat, and the water had come up enough at that point that they held the the back poles of the trailer and pulled, and I backed the boat out into my yard next to my house and, and right against a fallen tree. And at that point, I just headed out into the street. It was the craziest feeling. I mean, I'm driving down a road in a boat. Mm in a hurricane and I decided we were going to try to leave so I was going with the wind with the current and I was probably 20 miles an hour idling with no control of steering wow and we got to the entrance 
to our community. There was a fallen tree on one side, two on the other, and almost enough room to fit the boat through it. And I thought in my mind, if we get out onto the main road and there's a telephone pole down, wires down, a tree down blocking that road, we're stuck. So game plan two, I hammered the throttle and spun it around and clipped one of my fine neighbor's mailboxes accidentally. <laughs> they might not notice. <laughs> and we just started slowly. I was going as slow as I could, working my way up the street. I didn't want the boat on plane because it's a lifting hull. I didn't want air catching under the bow. And I had the two guys on the bow to help keep it down. And as we were headed, uh, try to find a house, uh, it, it was so hard. You couldn't even see. I mean, it was blinding. I had my glasses off because it, you just couldn't see through them, anything. We found a person sitting on his windowsill in his truck. And so I'm thinking, well, we got to go up and get him. And at that point, a guy had pointed that was in the boat and yelled grass. So we found a house we could get to and anchor in their front lawn. And if they weren't home, sit on their porch, whatever. Mm -hmm. So as I was approaching the truck, I, I couldn't see the truck. And I couldn't, it was just that bad. And I couldn't yell to the people three feet in front of me. They could not hear a thing. And so I keep screaming, how close am I? And I'm trying to be careful with the throttle, but I'm literally, I look at a house and I'm going backwards. Give it more throttle, I'm going forward, all of a sudden too fast because the, you know, the wind lets up for a second and probably got within 20 feet of the truck and he held his hand up telling me he had four people in the truck. And I knew at that point to transfer four people into my boat, the way that was would be dangerous for everyone. Mm -hmm. So I just, I pointed to him, I made the walk, sign and pointed to them about 20 times where they need to get out of that truck and try to get to and so we we uh backed up just let the wind back us up and went down the side street and there was someone standing on on their porch watching us that owned this house and we went right up to their almost their front porch and and stuck an anchor in the ground and watched the other group uh, come walking around the house, I thought the current was going to be so strong, I was ready to take the boat back out is what I was telling everyone. Get them off and then go see what I can do. But they came walking around the corner of uh, the neighbor's house, and we went down, and, and the one lady was 92 years old. Hmm. So that then they were everyone was scared my anchor was going to give because we didn't know if this house was going to flood, but I reassured them I have a fortress. Mm. They don't give. We'll be lucky to get it out. The only thing I was concerned about is I do not carry a heavy anchor line because I don't need to. Yeah. Because normally I'm not out anchored in 150 mile an hour winds. So we tied one more rope around a palm tree and prayed the palm tree didn't come down. Mm. So obviously, you know, you go from being so anxious in the morning that you don't eat to your fight or flight is full engaged, but what are some of the emotions that you experienced throughout that whole thing? And then what did it feel like to finally get that tied off and then to walk into solid ground again and have that group of people okay? I just, I just go into overdrive. <clears throat> I don't think about anything. All I think, I just focus on task at hand and what I got to do and, and it's just save these people, no emotions. I mean, it's just, you go straight into adrenaline, overdrive, and 
do your thing. And once we got on dry ground, it sunk in what we just did and how we pulled it off. Mm. So after you guys ride out the storm and you got your, your skiff in someone's lawn, walk me from that moment to where we are today, where you got the house, you did an amazing job. I mean, you got it gutted out and yeah. cleaned up and the, to the best of your ability. Walk me through that process and what the, the very first step of rebuilding looked like. Well, the, <clears throat> the very next day, once the water had receded enough where it was safe to walk down the streets, we came back to look at our homes. And what no one expects is when you open the door that every belonging you have, your beds, your sofa, everything was floating. And just mixing around the house and <clears throat> it'd come down on other stuff and just destroy it. And the other thing was the fact there was half inch of mud. And also, I'm on septic. So mud and sewage on everything in the house. And as I showed you, you saw where my fridge lifted. And I had about six bottles of liquor that stuck in the ceiling, you know, as it came back down. But it was, your heart just drops. Yeah. Because... family photos all my kids you know just gone mm. and my i i did leave something out before i got in the boat <clears throat> i called both my kids mm. told them what i was going to do and how stupid it was but i think it was a way that we were going to survive i said my goodbyes mm. sorry and told them that you know I was going to fight with everything I had to see them again. Hmm. And I guess I had enough. What an incredible story. I mean, obviously, it's, it's still fresh. But there's this interesting kind of way that so often when we drive around beaches in cities like Fort Myers, we can see the way that man has shaped the environment. But all Floridians know that the environment shapes us just as much as we try to constantly shape and work against it. For you, what, what do you feel like is different this side of the storm? Um, <clears throat> everyone coming together. We have had so much help out here from our wonderful governor sending the military out to <clears throat> captains for clean water, um, Arthrex, um, FGCU and uh, just support group after support group coming to help us because these homes have to be emptied. And I mean, my life is in this home and there is so much stuff. It's, it's just daunting hmm. when, you, when you look at it, but there was so much help that, you know, I, I just couldn't believe it. They're the heroes. Hmm. Benny, talk, talk me from your angle, you know, as somebody that we were discussing earlier, I was born two weeks before Andrew hit South Florida. You said you were 16, you know. Um, a lot of people in Florida have gone through hurricanes and seen loss and seen how it can devastate people. But talk me through your story of getting ready to come up here. Obviously, you're cl close with Chris and Daniel, Captains for Clean Water, and just kind of what it was, what your experience like was with the hurricane from being somebody outside of the area and coming in. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, the the reason that I came running over is because I've been through them. Um, my parents were of the variety that didn't really run. We, we hunkered down every time. And I remember vividly as a kid thinking, you know, we're not going to survive this storm and sitting in the eye wall at, for six hours or four hours and for every second not really believing that the walls were going to come down and everything was going to be over. And um, that affected me as a kid. So I, I don't I don't take hurricanes for granted. I, I leave. When Irma came, when there was a threat, even a remote threat, that we were going to be in the eye or near the, the cone, we were gone. I took my family and left. Um, I think what's important to understand with Mike here is that most people don't ever get to experience a storm surge like that. And for the for the betterment of for the better portion of my life most of the hurricanes go by and you don't really feel much you know it's a cat five but it's you know 100 miles away and you get 50 mile an hour winds and it's not a big deal and you're like whatever it's a it missed us and um to the point we were talking about earlier all these people in tampa who were preparing and then a good portion of them that we're going to ride it out no matter what now they're even more brazen so you see the hurricane didn't hit us we're fully fine and and after a few a few times of it hurricanes going by and missing you and you're not really feeling the effects you get you get you know you have this false sense of confidence that you can you can withstand any hurricane but if a hurricane <laughs> hits you if it hits you right it's it's going to take everything and probably your life mm-hmm. and um and the point that mike was making earlier that i think may have been missed is that he didn't think there was going to be a problem until he saw that water mm-hmm. yep. and that was the first time he's probably seen water rise like that and at that point it's too late his only options at that point were this emergency evacuation and he, you know, um, that he was even contemplating whether it was worth it or not. It was a risk. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it was a valid risk and obviously it paid off and, yeah. and I commend him for that. I think he, I think he's a hero. Um, he definitely saved some people's lives. Certainly Connie next door, she wouldn't have been able to fend for herself. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it was a situation that he probably should have never been in. And, and he, he fully understands that. I think the difference now in a Mike today versus Mike, 10 days ago is that Mike's getting out of town. And, uh, and that's a, that's an important lesson here. You know, these hurricanes are no joke. They're getting worse every year. And if you're in the cone and you're 24 hours out and you have an opportunity to get out, get out. Property means nothing. I agree a hundred percent. If I could take that part of my life back, Mm -hmm. I would, I didn't eat for two days. Yeah. You know, I I couldn't even eat afterwards is Right. Yeah. So for the people listening who, who say, well, I would never leave my house. I have to protect my house. Was there anything here to protect? No. And, no. and it doesn't matter. There was nothing I could protect. Right. The only thing I could protect was myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, it was, it was one of the dumbest things I did staying here. Well, I'll say this. I'm happy that you stayed because you saved all those lives. Mm-hmm. And so uh, obviously you went through a very traumatic experience and you learned your lesson, but I'm glad you stayed this time. Well, next time I'm taking all them with me. <laughs> but my first hurricane it, living in the state of Florida was Andrew. And I had a girlfriend at the time, uh, no children, boat. And I said, you know, we're going to stay. How bad can it be? I got up at five in the morning and looked at the footage of the other coast. And I said, get in my truck. I'm loading the boat up. We are out of here. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've just never, you know, I left for Charlie and, and Irma, everyone. And I don't know what in my head said, you know, ride this out. Cause it was the biggest 
baddest hurricane I think that's hit this coast in a long time and way underrated mm-hmm. the power of the wind. You know, throughout the day today, you've been getting various calls from insurance companies and you're trying to, you know, now that you've, you've survived, it's time to start to pick the pieces back up and try to figure out how all that's going to work together for you. What's your mentality in, in rebuilding? Because I think it would be helpful for people who maybe have never been around hurricanes or, you know, a lot of the listeners don't live in Florida, don't live on the Gulf. What does that process look like? And and what are your biggest concerns? Well, my biggest concern is being in the same level that the house is at now. You know, I would love for it to be totaled and build it up much taller. Mm -hmm. But the way I am, I went straight in to secure the home and to stop the mold and, you know, basically benefit the insurance company. But what's coming around the corner is a massive battle with insurance companies and trying to get back maybe a third maybe a third of what I lost. Hmm. And for you, as, as you think about, uh, you know, trying to get back to some level of normalcy, it's interesting because there were so many things that you weren't able to say, but we were joking earlier that your boat looks pretty good. Yeah. Um, for you, you know, as somebody who lives here and loves the water, um, and there's this relationship with the Gulf that everybody has where it's, it's hurricane alley. And it's also something we love for you. What, what do you, what do you think about when you're thinking about getting back on the water and getting back to fishing and doing what you love? Well, I'd love to as soon as possible. Um, because yeah, I love the water. I mean, that's why I'm here. That's, that's why I moved to Florida. Uh, I think it's, it's going to be real rough out in the water, real dangerous for quite a while. Um, but yeah, you know, as soon as I can get, you know, that people don't understand, I lost everything. You know, my vehicle, <clears throat> my shoes, I had one pair of sandals hmm. until we found my shoes and stuff where they floated to. And there's, you know, it's, it's just crazy because there's nowhere to go stay. I've got rental car insurance. There's no rental cars. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's just a crazy rebuilding process. Benny, as you kind of work with the Captains for Clean Water crew um, and, and other organizations, I know Costa's been down here and other groups have been down here trying to help and put together plans. And what are, what are ways that people can participate in trying to help folks on the ground and especially folks, too, who are fishing captains who, you know, it's going to be, I have a friend who his brother is a guide in Sanibel. It is going to be a long time before somebody stays in Sanibel and fishes with a guide. What, what can people do to get involved? Sure, there's a, there are a million ways, almost literally a million ways right now because there's so many agencies. We've had so many natural disasters in the last 10 years. There's so many agencies that have been built around helping people for natural disasters. Um, and rightfully so, those agencies have to take percentages and build administrative fees into it. And, and there's, a, there's a percentage of what your donations of your donations that go to running those organizations. Mm-hmm. In this situation, it's very unique. We, we literally, this is our, this is our home. This is, Cap- this is where Captain's Clean Water was born. This is where 95% of our employees live. Um, several of our employees lost their homes and, and, mm-hmm. and dealt with serious losses as well. But um, because we are here, we're a 501c3 and we love this community, we've created two funds. Uh, one that is strictly for the guides 
Uh, so if there's anglers out there that want to support the guides who've lost everything and help them get back on their feet, they can do that. And then we have a general relief fund, which is where we suggest everybody donate. Um, 100% of those those funds go directly to the people here that need it the most. And um, as you can see with Mike and Connie, and it, we're we're doing what we know how to do, which is to help the people that need it. And um, and that's where we would hope people would, if they want to help from a from a distance, is they they donate to the general relief fund for Captain's Clean Water. And I'll make sure to keep the all the links in the bio and also in the blog post. Mike, just kind of the the closing thought here. Um, you know, you're not somebody who sought out to be on this podcast. You certainly didn't seek out this experience. Um, but this was one of those things that as the, the captains for clean water team was on the ground and they met you and I reached out and to be honest, I think a lot of people can, can resonate with this, but there's some level of survivor's guilt you get, especially when at one point it was going to come and hit me and didn't hit me. And I'm, I'm sitting there and my kids were out of school just to be safe, but I'm sitting there with my family drinking coffee and I know what is going on. And I have friends who can't contact their loved ones and, there's a level of survivor's guilt and that I think a lot of people feel too, because you know, you don't want to see anybody do it, go through that. And I reach out and I say, what can I do? And they said, man, this, what we think would be most helpful right now is to, to come down to and help people just understand the severity of this. And so here you are, <laughs> you didn't seek it out here. I am. Yeah. I didn't seek it out <laughs> either. Um, but what do you want people to know? What you, you have the microphone right now. What, what do you want people to know from what you've learned from this and what they can maybe take away? Leave whenever possible um, because it's just a smart thing to do. Um, hope nobody else ever has to go through this, but be there to support your community. The ones who, who are doing okay, even people with no homes here, have have grills brought in and you know they're cooking food and, and it just it helps lighten everything and it gets people what they need and it, it's just amazing i've never been in a situation where there's been so many people we got the was it the cajun army yeah here <laughs> they're up front they're giving horseback rides but you know it settles these kids there were yeah. there were two children in that house riding that hurricane out mm. And, and the, the husband had floaties on their arms, made them wear floaties. But, you know, think about what's got to be going through your mind as a little child and, and your protector is your father and you're in that situation. I mean, I just looked at them and I, I'm like, man, you know, I'm an adult. Mm -hmm. They're just kids and they're st stuck in the same situation other than that home literally had a quarter inch of water in it at the end. Wow. I can't imagine as a father being in a situation where I'm putting floaties on my kid because I think yeah. it's going to get to that point. Yeah. I, I, when I walked through the door and saw those little kids, it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, let's pray. And, and what I was trying to think, what was going through my head was, how do I get 10 people on my boat? I'm going to do it, but how do I do it? How do I get this whole group to safety? Because I can't leave and leave anyone. You know, and I knew multiple trips somewhere would, would never happen. Once I was off that porch, I probably wouldn't be able to make it back. So it was really good that that water, it was a quarter inch from coming in the front and trickling in the back on the carpet. And all of a sudden we all saw the level go down 
And it was just, that was the best feeling. As you see the level going down, it's like, okay, we're, we're going to be okay. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you just in the, in the midst of this, taking time today and sitting down with us and sharing your story. And we hope that it helps people understand the severity of these storms, but also we hope that even people outside the community would, would do something, make a contribution to one of those two funds and, and try to do something to help because that's one of the beautiful things about this is in a world that's so often divided, you know, I'm driving down and I'm seeing people with all different bumper stickers. Yep politically helping and I'm seeing companies chip in and one of the most Florida moments ever was the bridge being rebuilt with the the public's trucks with the American flags coming in <laughs> but awesome. you love the, you love to see people helping each other and I hope that this will inspire people to to take a step of action but thank the, you for your time this is what our country was founded on people sure. working together mm -hmm. as a team and you know it's been so divided but when this all happened, I mean, everybody came together. Well, thank you so much for the time, Mike. I really appreciate it. You bet. It's back to cleaning and clearing and... And hopefully fishing soon. Yeah, it's going to be a soon little while. Enough. I'm still still working on getting a home parked in my yeah. driveway. But my boat, that's my baby. And it, it did its job. And it's going to be renamed. I'm not sure what, but it saved our lives. Yeah. It'll be an interesting thing to catch your first fish on that boat, this side of that story. Yeah. It gives a whole new relationship to that skiff. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, I, I don't think I'm a hero. I'm just someone that did what anyone should do. Just they needed help. I had probably the only tool to either help them or kill us all. And <laughs> I've, I've got a lot of experience on yeah. a boat. And I talked to one of my friends in St. James and he rode it out there and actually got less water in his house than me. And I told him my story and he said, only you <laughs> said, only you could pull that off. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's not the, that's not the, uh, there's a lot of applications for a skiff, you know, but I think you, you know, that's more of a bay boat, bigger, bigger boat situation. Yeah. Although, you know, you got to run into some draft issues and stuff in certain spots, but man, thank you so much. It's been oh, good to bet. sit down and hear your story and laugh some and cry some and just, to be able to come together for this. So thank you, Mike. You're welcome. Thanks for coming by. Once again, thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. I hope that you consider making a donation to Captains for Clean Water or finding some way to help Florida rebuild. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. game in wild places tune in to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment through the blackwater bayous and in the dark louisiana night floats a duck camp alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of cajun cooking Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.